our God in worship is uh, through giving of our, our tithes and offerings. And so if you came prepared to worship in that way, um, feel free to, uh, to drop your offering in, in the back. Um, well, no announcements today other than just the fact that obviously it's, it's different because we have the kids um, in with us. Um, and just so you know why we do that, um, it's not... Um, not, it's not an accident. It's not like we forgot that we had, uh, you know, we forgot to do kids ministry or something this, this week. But um, the reason is, is one of our, our primary hopes is that our kids maintain faith um, from, from the time of, of, of being a part of our church as kids all the way into adulthood. And one of the ways that we found is most important for that is for kids to be involved in, in the larger church, in larger worship, um, with congregation of all age, and not just in age-specific ministry. And so that's why uh, from time to time we do this, where we have... Um, um, our kids in service with us. And we're okay with the chaos. We believe when Jesus said, let the little children come to me, um, he meant that. That wasn't a joke. Uh, he wasn't uh, being dishonest there. And so we're okay with the chaos. Parents, we're okay with the chaos. Um, and so, so let's lean into that. Um, and if you didn't, if you didn't grab a, a green Kids Connect sheet for your kids coming in, uh, please uh, do that. And, uh, um, and we'll figure it out. It'll be good. We'll, we'll enjoy it. Um, well, this morning's text, it's Matthew 26, verses 17 through 29. Uh, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have them on the back table. We'd be glad to give you one as our gift um, if, you, if you have need. Um, but that's our text for this morning. So let me, pray, or let me read that, um, and then I'll, uh, I'll pray, and then we'll jump in to our text for uh, this morning. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve, and as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him, one after another, Is it I, Lord? And he answered, who, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written, but woe to the man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he, he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Father God, you say that, that those who listen to your word, those who meditate on your word, they will become like trees planted by streams of water that yield fruit in their season. So God, we all, we've heard many things this week. Many opinions about the world we live in, many thoughts about how we should live our lives. Um, but God, we want to be trees. Not blown around by the latest thing we hear, but deeply rooted in what is, is true. God, we want to live fruitful lives for our neighbors, our family, our friends, um, and above all, fruitful lives for you, God. And so would you open our ears to hear your words, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the most significant moments in my life have, have always included meals, eating. And so my wedding day, to Misty is an example, right? 20 minutes of a ceremony and then like a three-hour-long eating fest, celebration, meal, dancing, partying, all of that. Um, the best moments always have meals. And so uh, 
just a few months ago, one of the most important moments uh, in my life when the Cubs won the World Series. Um, not comparing that to my wedding, just to be clear, but uh, when the Cubs won the World Series, it didn't, it didn't seem complete. I wanted to get a, a deep dish pizza, wake my kids up. It was like one in the morning and, and eat together because meals come with what's important. Um, that a birthday doesn't go by without us eating, celebrating together. That um, even harder moments for us, funerals, they have, they have meals that um, until there's eating involved, Whatever you're doing is not important, right? And the same is, is true in, in church as we gather together. That, that just my opinion, but the most important thing we do on a Sunday morning is eat together. I'm not donut holes, that's not what I'm talking about, uh, but, but I'm talking about communion. This weird meal we have together where we all take a little bread, we dip in a little juice, and we eat it in the instruction of those serving. Have you ever wondered why? Why do, why do we Christians do that? Why do we have this moment and this meal called communion? And, and the reason ultimately is because Jesus told us to. Right? He commanded us, this passage I just read, Jesus is commanding his disciples, take, eat, drink, do this in remembrance of me. But I, I just want to push into that question as a church, especially with our kids gathered with us. Why do we do this? Why is this part of our worship experience as a church every Every week. And I want to let Matthew 26 be our guide. Why do we do this meal? Why do we, why do we take communion? Um, well, a few reasons. First is, is we need communion because we forget. Now, the Bible, it's, it's a big, long book. And for those of you who are kids, maybe you're starting to read the Bible. Maybe you've read Jesus' storybook Bible. Maybe you've read Jesus' action Bible. I mean, there are all kinds of Bibles um, now. But, but if you want to understand the Bible, it's, it's a story. And, and the Bible especially could be understood as a story about different meals. Right, so the first story in the Bible, Genesis 1 through 3, it's, there's a meal there. There's eating there. And most of the time when they tell, people tell the story of Genesis 1 through 3, they start in Genesis 3 with God saying, okay, there's this big meal in front of you, but don't eat that. Which is confusing because that's not, that tends to not be how we act at, at meals. Uh, for example, when Jeff, Dennis, and I were in uh, China um, a couple weeks back, they, they put a lot of food out in front of us. But we have a picture of, of one of the meals that we ate. I mean, just, this is sort of how it worked. They just kept bringing more plates of dishes of, of food. And they didn't offer um, uh, the spread of food and say, don't eat that. In fact, uh, our Chinese hosts, whenever they had seen we weren't eating something, that they, they took it upon themselves with their chopsticks to grab what we weren't eating and put it on our plate for us. Because the food's in front of you to eat it. And so when you read this story... Of Genesis 3, and you get to this question of why is there a tree there? Why is there a part of the meal they can't eat? And that's a fair question, but it's, that's a completely unfair way to tell the story of Genesis 2 and 3. That actually, uh, before God says, don't eat that, he says something else in verses 16 and 17 of Genesis 2. Here's, what, here's God's command to Adam and Eve in the garden with his first meal. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So the first thing God says to his people living in the garden is, is eat. You may surely eat of every tree in the garden. Look at all this food. Look at all this fruit. Look at all of this to eat. Enjoy. But, this one tree, that's, that's not for you. If you eat that, you'll die. And so what happens is Adam and Eve, they, they forget. Right? They have this garden feast in front of them. All of this food, God had said, you can eat all of this 
except for that, and if you eat that, you die. And they focus on the that, the thing that would kill them. And that's where they go and they eat. And so what, what starts as a very strange story about eating, about a meal, uh, puts a pretty profound question in front of all of us. Which is, how do, you, how do you see God? How do you think about God? Right? Either as the master of the feast, the one who puts in front of you a life full of rich options to go and enjoy and pursue, desires to be met and discovered um, in him, and yet there's part, there are things that he said are off limits to you, things that will kill you if you go after him. Do you see him ultimately as the master of the feast, the one who wants your desires met? Or do you see him as the, the cosmic killjoy, the one who puts things in front of you that he's just withholding, he wants to keep back from you, and, and therefore you have to go and do the things he's told you not to do. Because if you don't, then you die. And how do you see God? And I, I would contend we forget who God really is, the God of you may surely eat, the God of desire and the God of, of joy and the God of satisfaction who puts a feast in front of us and says, eat all of this, just not that. And so is, is that how you see God? Now, I would say one of the most compelling arguments I've heard for the existence of, of God, I've grown probably increasingly easy to, to satisfy over the years. It's not, it's not the most complex philosophical arguments um, but it's, it's this one, and I'm going to translate it. This, the argument itself doesn't really land home for me, but if I translate it, maybe it'll land home for you a little bit. But there's a, a Catholic philosopher named Peter Kreeft, um, and his argument for the existence of God, which he says as he's gotten older, has become his most compelling argument. It's, it's this. It's two sentences. Um, there is Johann Sebastian Bach, therefore there is a God. His basic point is, is there's beauty in music and art, um, in creation, the, there's just beauty there that you see it and you, you have the sense of transcendence. There must be a God. And, and so Peter Kreef, he's a philosopher, right? He's, you know, he probably wears suits to work, all that. So he's got a really high view of, of the way. Maybe, you know, I, I get that. I love music. I love art. And yet, uh, let me translate what I think he's saying into this sermon and into our context. Um, there is Kansas City Joe's Ribs. Therefore, there is a God. Right? Uh, sorry, K-State fans, um, but this lands home to me is an in, from Indiana, uh, 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 old gyms. Um, this is what I grew up on. But there, there is popcorn to eat in Allen Fieldhouse while watching basketball. Therefore, there is a God. Right? There are hot dogs at Kauffman Stadium. Therefore, there is a God. And I would just say, as a Christian, do you, do you look around and see this world as a, a world full of feasts God is inviting you to? The point beyond themselves, to him. There's deep joy and satisfaction and desires to be met in this life if you eat what God has given you to eat. And so we need communion because we forget that. We forget who God really is. We think he has rules in place to kill our joy or he's just, he's angry up there and he, he wants to make sure no one's having any fun anywhere. We think of God like that. And so we need this weekly moment to, to pull us back to creation, to pull us back to the garden, back to God who said, eat. Just don't eat what's going to kill you. Just don't, don't eat that, but eat what I've provided for you, which will meet your desires. So we need communion because we forget, one. But second, we need communion um, because we're isolated. This is just built into who we are as human beings now. And there's two ways that's true. The first, as human beings, we're now isolated from God. So after Adam and Eve, they eat the tree they weren't supposed to eat from. It's, it's going to kill them. And so what happens is they have to leave the garden. They have to leave the table. They have to leave the feast. Which is why when God comes in to save humanity from this isolation from him, 
The next big act God is going to do in the storyline of Scripture, it involves a meal again. It involves the meal, actually, Jesus is eating with his disciples here in Matthew 26, a meal called the Passover. In the second book of the Bible called Exodus, um, this nation called Israel, um, they're slaves to this nation called Egypt. And God hates slavery, so he decides he's going to rescue Israel from slavery to Egypt. And and he's going to do more than that. He's actually going to relate to them in a unique way. He's going to make them his own people. And he's going to introduce his salvation into the world through this people, Israel. But there's this problem, Egypt. And so God has to rescue Israel out of slavery to Egypt. And so on the night God plans to rescue um, Israel from Egypt, he wants them to eat a meal. And there's two things involved in this meal. The first is that the people of Israel, they're, they're in their own homes to slaughter a lamb. And they're, they're to do this thing, which is weird to us. They're to wipe the blood of the lamb on their doorposts. And it's weird to us. It's not as weird to other cultures. So even when we were in China um, um, a couple weeks back, it's pretty normal practice to put red on your doorsteps, um, on your door, doorposts, um, to sort of keep evil away from you. And so what feels like evil to us or what's weird to us isn't as weird in other um, cultures, but what, what God was saying through this act of, of slaughtering the lamb and wiping its blood on the doorpost um, was to say, uh, okay, even though you're slaves, even though I'm going to save you, you're just as guilty, you're just as much sinners as everyone else, and so you need blood uh, to save you from judgment. And so you're going you're to slaughter the lamb, you're going to put the blood on the door, doorpost, that's step one, and then step two is you're going to eat a meal together as a family. And I love the way that God describes this meal um, that they're to eat. Exodus 12, verse 11. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. What he's saying is, yep, be ready to to leave at moment's notice as you eat this meal. Right? The Lord is coming to save you. Um, This night, you're going to eat, and then the moment you're done eating, you're going to leave into salvation, leave into freedom out of slavery. And so eat, ready to go. And so back to the Gospel of Matthew. They're eating this meal together, Jesus and his disciples. And Jews had gathered for hundreds of years to eat this meal and to celebrate this moment of salvation that God had given them. And yet Jesus in this moment is clearly saying this meal is about something else than just lambs and Passovers and freedom from Egypt. And so as they begin to eat this meal together, Jesus takes the bread and he says, this, this bread is me. It's my body. Broken for you. And this blood, um, or this wine, it, it's, it's me. It's my blood. Which is shed for you. And so essentially what Jesus is saying in this moment is, is I, I'm the Passover. I'm the lamb. I'm the blood spilt. For you to be forgiven, for you to have new life. Which is why Peter, later in his life, who was, was Jewish, was clearly reflecting on both Jesus' life and the Passover meal. And he, he wrote this. He said, you, you, you Christians, you, were not, you weren't ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Um, or you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your fa- forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And so this meal that you and I eat every week, which has its roots in the Exodus, was made complete in Jesus, means that you and I, we don't have to live in isolation from God anymore. The God on that night, thousands of years ago in Egypt, came to the table of Israelites who were eating a meal, ready to be saved, and said, come back into fellowship with me. Come into my family. 
come know me in a way no one else knows me. And so we eat this meal every week to remind ourselves, you don't have to live in isolation from God anymore. He wants you back at his table. He wants you back at the feast. So we live in isolation first from God, but also from one another. And one of the most misunderstood verses in all the Bible about communion is 1 Corinthians 11, verse 27. Here's that verse. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now, I grew up in a church that said, what what this verse means, examine yourself, therefore, is that um, before you take communion, you you have to do a thorough, rigorous look at your own life, right? All the things that are wrong with you. Right? Do you have any unconfessed sin? Do you have issues in your life you haven't dealt with before God? And you need to do that first. And if there are things in your life that make you unworthy of the table, well, you can't come. Um, that, that's how I grew up, um, thinking about the, the church. Now, I want to say it's very good to do that. It's good to think about your life. Like, what, what's wrong with you? Um, really, what's wrong with you? Um, um, what's, what sin do you have in your life? What do you need to bring before God? That's all good. But that is not what Paul is saying at all in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul's actually doing it, he's rebuking the Corinthian church because they're abusing the communion table. And what they're doing is the, the rich in that church, they had more flexibility in their schedule, so they got off work, and they, they went and they ate the meal together, all the rich people. And they had all the best food, they had all the best drink, and they ate all of it. So they, got, they ate way too much, they drank way too much. And then the poor would get off work, they would go to communion, and what would happen is there's no food left. And all the parties all happening in this one room, and no one else is allowed to go in and have, uh, be a part of the party because all the food's eaten, and everyone's just excluding those who are poor. And what Paul is saying is, no. That, in fact, not only is that wrong, that is the exact opposite intention of what the communion table is supposed to be. That what the communion table is supposed to be is a place where all of those human distinctions, they break down, is what Paul goes on to say. And so socioeconomic class, racial class, those things don't matter anymore at the communion table. And we Christians don't divide. We don't bring the divisions that are true outside of our church walls into our church walls and at the communion table. No, our table is very different than the tables of this world. So you don't, we don't get to bring human division in this, into this meal. So when Paul says, stop, examine yourself before you come and eat the, the table, what he was saying was, are you being exclusionary to others? Are you looking down on those of a different class or race than you? Are, you? are you using the table as a place of division and excluding Christians from your life because of the way you're living? That's what he's saying. And so we're to do the same thing. We need, we need this meal because it's the, it's the one place where we don't get to decide who we let in and who we don't let in. It's one reason why even we, as we do communion here at Christ Community, we do it um, in groups of four to six, not as an individualistic event. We do it so that you don't get to pick who you're taking communion with. Right, and then maybe it's someone who cut you off on the way into the parking lot this morning, or someone who maybe uh, knocked your kid over because you know they weren't watching where they were going, or maybe it's someone who sent you a nasty email this week, or whoever it is. You don't get to decide who you come to the table with. It's not your table, and that's what the Corinthians had done. They had made it their own table, and their own table meant that only the rich got to eat there. It was another place of division. And Paul says, "No, no, it's not how our communion table works." We as human beings, we're isolated from those who are different than us. And the communion table is a reminder that God saves everyone. He's open to saving anyone. And so therefore, anyone can come to the table with us. So we need communion. We forget what God is really like. Um, We're isolated as human beings from God, from one another. And third, we need community so that we, we experience God's forgiveness. 
Obviously, the disciples would have been surprised that Jesus is claiming he's the Passover meal. And so Jesus, he doesn't want them to be confused at what he's saying. And so in verse 28, uh, what he says is he says, I want you to drink of the blood, drink of the wine, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The communion is a place where we, we experience the forgiveness of God. And so one of the, one of the things that, that angered people most about Jesus when he, when he lived on earth was, was who he ate with. And you see this all through the Gospel of Matthew, in particular Matthew 9, verses 10 and 11. Um, listen to this example. Um, As Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with, with tax collectors and sinners? And you see this all through the Gospels. People who, who are you know, supposed to believe the Bible, have a relationship with God, look at Jesus and say, why do you eat with those people? But the reality is that there's two ways to think about God. And the communion table uh, destroys them both. Two bad ways of thinking about, about our relationship to God. The first is that you can look at God and say, of course God should eat with me. I'm a good person. I, I've lived a moral life. Um, God, you know, God, does, God owes me table fellowship with him. But here's the irony. If, if that's how you think about God, if you think God just owes you a place at his table, you actually aren't going to want to eat at his table. Because God lets people at his table you don't want to eat with. Like tax collectors, like sinners. So in other words, that's why I, I push back so strong against that interpretation of 1 Corinthians 11. If you, if you end your examination by thinking, God, I deserve this table. I'm worthy of this table. Well, you wouldn't go anyway. You wouldn't eat at the table Jesus ate with. We're not worthy of the table. Which leads to the other problem that you can encounter when you think about God. So the communion table can also be a, a place that um, where we begin to wonder, well, does, would God eat with me? Would God ever want to eat with me? That I think as, as you think about communion being a place where you experience God's forgiveness, I think we should all just wrestle with the question, um, do you believe God actually forgives you? Like when you get up to go to that table, do you think God actually wants fellowship with you? Do you think he forgives you? Or do you, do you think there are things maybe you would do that would be too much? Or maybe there are things now you've done that are too much. But do you really believe God forgives you, wants to forgive you? See, I think this feeling runs deep within us human beings that does God really want to eat with us? Does God really want to have fellowship with us, right? It's something probably that goes all the way back to middle school, the lunchroom, right, where you want to, other people, can I eat at that table? Am I, like, am I cool enough to eat at that table? Or can I be in the, that relationship with those People and, and we just translate that onto God. Can we be in a relationship with Him? And so there, there's a girl in California. I love this story. Her name's Natalie Hampton. She's 16 years old. Uh, she recently created an app called Sit With Us, where you can download it and you can can your lunch your lunchroom comes up and if there's a table where anyone invited is invited to come, um, you 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 download the app and you say my table. Anyone can come to it. And I love that story. She, she created that because in middle school, she sat by herself in the lunchroom for, for a long stretch of time. So she created this app. So she could have a table where she could say, anyone can come to my, and sit at my table. Anyone's invited. Anyone's welcome. And so I realize that this is, this is a little cheesy, but, um, but go with this. Um, our communion table um, every week at Christ Community, is, that's our sit with us app. Anyone's welcome. Anyone can come. Anyone's invited. 
And I, I realize that the, doing communion every week is, can be very uh, hard for, for those who aren't Christian or don't have faith in Christ. I feel that awkwardness. I, I connect. With, I understand that awkwardness. Um, and yet, one of the reasons why, um, at least I feel compelled to do communion every week, is to have that invitation there to you every week from God. You can come back into fellowship with me. You can come back into relationship with me. The only thing holding you back is you. It's not God. God has provided the means from which for you to enter back into relationship with him. And I need that invitation every week. Come to my table. It's my body broken for you. It's my blood shed for you. And we Christians, we hear that invitation every week. And if you don't believe, that invitation is to you as well, to take Christ, to become a Christian, to believe in him. So I would say for Christians, um, for those of us that experience that, that table every week, our lives should reflect the Sit With Us app. We should have open tables in our own lives. And I would just ask, does your table reflect the communion table that we experience every week? Is there an openness in your life to society, those in society uh, people overlook, people forget about? right? Or are our tables as Christians more like the high school lunch Table, where our lives aren't open to others, where our lives are shut off or closed off to others. I think one of the reasons why the communion table often feels so exclusive to those who are not yet um, Christians is because we live exclusive lives as Christians. We, leave with, we live with closed tables. We don't welcome in those who are different from us. We don't welcome in those who are, are, are shut out from the, the world. And so we expect people to look like us, to believe like us, to act like us before we welcome them to our tables. And as Christians, we should not be like that. Our lives, our tables should be open. And I hope um, a year from now, you could look back on the past year and see people who have been invited into your life that maybe you wouldn't have invited on your own, but you've welcomed because you've been someone who's experienced the forgiveness of Christ week after week after week at the communion table. And so we need this meal to experience his forgiveness. We need this meal because we forget. Uh, we need this meal because we live isolated from others. And, and fourthly, we need this meal uh, to anticipate. Um, I said the story of the Bible, it's a story about meals. It starts in the garden. It goes to Passover. You, you get to Jesus eating with everyone, giving us this meal communion. And the story of the Bible ends in Revelation with the marriage supper of the Lamb. God and his church eating in this giant celebration of the, the kingdom of God breaking in among us once and for all. And so I think Jesus is alluding to that here. When he's, he's deal, taking this meal of communion with his disciples, he says, I won't eat this meal with you again until I eat it with you in my Father's kingdom. Right, so we eat this meal every week knowing there's a week when we'll eat it um, for the last time. And the next time we eat it, we'll be with Jesus in his new kingdom. And so it should create this sense of anticipation for us who are in Christ. That God, God's kingdom is already breaking into this world among us. And it will break in more in the days to come. And so we live as Christians with a sense of anticipation. A sense of hopefulness. A sense of looking ahead. That should affect how we live in the here and now. And we do this with eating all the time, right? When you know a really good meal is coming, it changes what you're going to eat leading up to that, that good meal. So just to illustrate this, I, I love breakfast food. And my favorite breakfast food place in all the world is in Chicago. Um, and I hadn't eaten there in like three or four years. And I, was, I got to go there a couple weeks ago. I was going to meet uh, uh, someone for, for lunch there. And so I uh, just decided I, like, I know I'm going to meet them at noon. And so I'm not going to eat anything until noon. And then I'm going to eat all of my meals in one day at noon at this breakfast place. And uh, so I was meeting, actually, it's our pastoral resident, um, she'll be joining our staff um, in June um, coming. So I was meeting her, and I just had to say to her when we sat down to lunch, like, hey, listen, just, I'm going to do something really strange. Don't judge me, um, but I'm going to order a lot of food, and uh, I don't normally do this sort of thing. I'm just going to do it now, so I hope you're okay. And she laughed. We were all, I'll give it, I, I ate a ton of food um, in this one setting, because, listen, this, this is the only place I can get pancakes like that. 
avocados and omelets like this. So I'm just going to eat it all in one. See, so we do this all the time with food. We eat and we anticipate what is to come. And so every week we, we sit down to have the communion table. We eat at the communion table. We're anticipating what is to come. And it should give us a sense of confidence as we live our lives in our workplaces, with our families, with our homes, that we can work hard. We don't have to run from tough problems. We can shed some blood. We can shed some tears. We can callous our hands working hard, knowing that in one day, one day, all of our work will be worth it. Everything we've done will be made complete in Jesus when he comes and brings his kingdom among us. And so we need this meal to anticipate, to remember what's coming. To remember the kingdom of God breaking in all among us. But all this raises questions, right? How, how can we know it's coming? How can we know that, um, that we're really forgiven? How can we know that actually we are invited to God's table? And I, I think what's, what's most stunning to me about this, this, this inauguration of this meal communion for us is that Jesus' own betrayer, Judas, is there at the table with him. I've always wondered why. I mean, Jesus knows what's about to happen. And, and Jesus almost accentuates this. The one, the one who's going to dip his bread, he, he was eating with me, he will betray me. Why? why? Why would Jesus do that? And I'm sure there's a great answer to that. I'm sure there's a better answer than I can come up with it. But reflecting on that text this week, I, I, the best reason I can give is Jesus' Jesus table is truly open to anyone. Like, truly is open to anyone to come. And granted, there are going to be a lot of people who get up from the table and leave, right, who walk away from the table. Adam and Eve did that in the garden. God said, eat all of this, just not that. If you eat that, you die. And they said, okay, we'll take what kills us. Right? Or Judas, he's there at the table with his own Messiah, and he's going to choose 30 pieces of silver and turning Jesus over instead of, instead of fellowship. Which you can get up from the table and you can leave at any point. But you're always invited. You're always invited to Jesus' table. That invitation will never go away. There is never a moment where you will have done something to him for which he can't forgive you and make right. That's, the whole, that, that's what this meal is communicating, right? It's, it's my body broken for you. It's my blood shed for you, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That anything you, you think might keep you from that table, he died for it. Anything that you, you think might make you unworthy of the table, he died for it. That's the whole point of this meal we make every week, is that we come back to the table where Jesus says to us, my body broken for you, my blood shed for you, you're invited. Not because of your righteousness, not because of what you've done, not because of what you offer me, but because of what I have done for you. And so you are always invited to the table. You're always invited to Jesus' table. It's the whole point of this meal. It's why we do it every week. So that you never need wonder, um, what is God's posture towards you? What does he think of you in this moment? He wants you to come and eat with him. That's why he's given us this meal. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we, we believe that you have invited us to your table. First, in the fact that you've created a world full of joys. You've created us with taste buds and drink and food. And so, God, we just recognize you as a God who wants us to be, be satisfied and have our desires met. But, God, we also pause to remember we, we left the table. We chased our own desires, our own joys. And, God, the, the signs of death are all around us. And so we pray that you would help us to see in Jesus your unending love for us. 
Help us to see in Jesus your relentless pursuit of us, that we would never question your great love for us. And above all, God, help us to believe that we are always invited to the table. God, for those of us who don't believe, would this moment not be some awkward moment that feels exclusionary, but God, instead, would this be a moment of invitation to come and receive you? God, for those of us who struggle to believe or those of us who are Christians, would you use this moment to instill in us more and more it was your body broken for us. It was your blood shed for us. And you are inviting us right now and always to your table. God, help us to see that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, well, what better way to end a sermon about communion than to take communion um, and to gather together um, in groups of four to six um, to remind ourselves. Um, before I give you instructions with that, another, another way we, we just wanted to open up um, in terms of responses, we have a couple prayer walls we'd invite you to engage um, through worship that... You know, two questions I ask in terms of application are, are, how are you seeing God right now? Are you, do you see him as a God who's created all of these things for you to enjoy? And are you thanking him uh, for those? So there's a prayer where you can just say, God, thank you for Kansas City Joe's Ribs. Um, thank you for your goodness to me. Thank you for whatever it is. Um, that's one. And then secondly, I want us to continue to think about how open our table is to those who are different from us, those who don't know Christ, or those who need, need relationship, need fellowship. And so... Um, we have a wall where you can um, um, pray for those people in your life. Maybe God has put in front of you to welcome in, to open your table up, um, up to. And so there's a couple other ways to respond. But the, the prime way of response this morning is communion. Uh, to remind ourselves, God is inviting us to his table. It was his body broken. It was his blood shed. Um, come in groups of four to six. Uh, take uh, the bread. Um, dip it in the juice and eat it together with the instruction of those who are serving you. Um, if you need gluten-free, we have that option available on, on this side of the auditorium. Uh, but as you come, uh, come, come not uh, seeing this as some earthly invitation to eat some bread and juice, but this is an invitation from God himself to come back into fellowship with him, with his church, to know him um, because his own son gave his life for you. So as you're ready, come. <laughs>